Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com You are listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. I just got done with an almost two-hour long conversation of which you guys are going to get about an hour. I apologize. I was selfish and asked a lot of questions uh, kind of on the beginning and the tail end of that. But uh, this is part four of the Florida Habitat series where we are breaking down the five different distinct habitat types that we've identified in the state of Florida. Now, I can see this series kind of growing as time goes on. Uh, we, we're breaking this down into a coastal habitat, a swamp habitat, marsh, central scrub, and north Florida. All three of these provide very unique habitat types that uh, kind of present a really interesting challenge for Florida hunters. And I think that as this, this series developed, the, the thought of what we were going to be able to take away from it has changed. And, and I'm happy to say that we have taken more and more uh, from this as a deer hunter, as deer hunters, we've been able to identify patterns that I didn't think were going to be there. And so uh, I, I am glad to bring you part four. We've got the legendary Doug White on the podcast. And this man is a absolute wealth of knowledge he is the epitome of the guy that takes his his licks and then learns from them whereas on the flip side i take my licks and then i just take more licks and i'm just hoping that one day i'm going to get lucky and so this is a fun episode because you get to pick the brain and hear me pick the brain i should say of a guy who's got a wealth of knowledge and you ordinarily wouldn't get a chance to talk to so i am so glad that you guys have tuned in once again to the show because you're not going to want to have missed this episode so I'm going to keep this intro kind of short because uh, it's just me. I'm flying solo tonight. Chase and I, our schedules have not been conducive to, uh, you know, <laughs> there's not been conducive to recording together. And it is what it is. We're, we're going through a season, but the good news is deer season will be here shortly. And very, very soon we're going to be able to uh, share deer camp together, continue to grow as, as outdoorsmen. And soon enough, it'll be the Chase and Walter show again, and not just the Walter or the just the Chase show. So... Before we get to that, I want to thank the people who make this show possible. And first and foremost, I got to thank the patrons. I mean, we are, our, our group is growing. Our digital deer camp is growing. Our Patreon polo group and our Discord group are growing very, very rapidly. In fact, we've got some more podcast shout outs Cody Brewer, Justin Slick, and Brian Zantop. Thank you guys for signing up. We've got more shout outs already lined up for next week. Uh, you guys signing up to help support this show is what makes this podcast possible. It offsets the the operating costs. It allows us to travel more, invest in video equipment. You've seen Brett has been a part of the show now. <clears throat> We're going to be uh, uh, doing more and more collaborative content with people, and that means more camera gear. That means more gas. That means more travel time to these different areas that you guys want to see us hunt. And so that's how we do it, and we are so happy that you guys sign up on a weekly basis uh, one of the ways that we say thank you is we do giveaways, we do free hats, we do free shirts, we do free stickers, all kinds of good stuff, and we've got a fall giveaway coming up that I think you guys are going to be very excited about, and so stay tuned very soon. We're going to announce what those details are. I'm putting together a really cool package for you guys, and I think we're going to actually start to add some 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 recruiting criteria, I guess, and as we hit certain goals, you know, number of people on Patreon, we're going to up the ante and we're going to have prizes to sell both celebrate those, those benchmarks, like a hundred patrons. And then on top of that, we're going to have prizes that just, you know, as we grow, we're going to grow the, 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 the packages that we give away to you guys. And so, um, go check it out. Patreon.com forward slash chasing tales outdoors. The link is in the show notes. You can just scroll, click donate to the show. And, uh, I don't draw a single paycheck from this guys. All of this money goes right back into the production of this podcast so just want to say thanks once again to to all the new patrons new and existing patrons uh for everything that you guys do with that we got a couple other people we need to, to say thank you to first and foremost that is 
Spartan Forge, if you are looking for the nexus of automated learning AI uh, intelligence that maps genuine deer patterns and helps you make good decisions, and it gives you an app that has remarkable satellite footage, I'm talking cust- a customized experience, go check them out at Spartan Forge. Use the promo code ChasingTales, T-A-L-E-S, all caps or all lowercase, to get 25% off your membership and lock in your price for life. I'm telling you guys, you're going to love all the different things that are coming down the pipe. It is a, an amazing app, and they have supported us in every step of the way. Uh, they donated 25 memberships to our Yak for Bass Challenge and helped us raise $800 for conservation. You, you can't beat that. So uh, definitely... You know, definitely go and, and support them, show them some love, and also go check out Tethered Nation. If you are looking for some of the lightest, guys, I'm going to tell you this right now. I have got a pack. I've got some of the new Tethered One sticks that came out. All four sticks together, including attachment method and stealth strips, 4.07 pounds. My pack has never been lighter. The, I've got the brand new, uh, I've got the brand new phantom xl mvp this thing is nuts it's re- it's like sitting in a saddle in, in, in a saddle good lord listen to me it's like sitting in a hammock in the tree i am really excited i got some videos coming for you guys and we're gonna have a blast doing it i'm gonna show you my gear i'm gonna show you how i pack it i'm gonna show you how uh, i use all my gear and we're gonna have a good time uh together so go check out the youtube channel and subscribe to that if you are looking uh for more information so with all of that said i'm gonna let you guys get to it six minutes I got this intro down to six minutes, and I'm going to call that a win. So without further ado, Doug White. From this point on, anything you say can and will be used against you in the podcast airspace. So, yep. all right, guys, we are back. I've got a guest that uh, has come, and I've said this to him before, and I'm going to say it on the audio wave so that he knows I'm serious. This has got to be the most heavily requested guest Florida guest we have had and yet to have on the podcast and I am delighted to say that uh, in part four of the Florida Habitat series we are bringing you a legend uh, the legend of the deer woods this is the kind of fellow that when he steps onto a WMA uh, men start to tremor because they realize their t- their target trail camera bucks are about to go missing uh, the deer feel it the moment that the, the, the truck hits park and, and his foot hits the gravel we've got the legendary Doug White on the podcast man I really appreciate you carving time out of your busy schedule not a problem man it's a pleasure to be here i, I mean wow if i'm highest uh, requested you guys need to broaden out your circles cause <laughs> I'm, I'm not that special man i'm just just another guy out there grinding and taking his lumps like everybody else you know you say that but i i notice a, a pattern with a lot of people and there are people that take lumps and they just get beat up and then there are people who take lumps and then they manage to learn and figure out what that lump was supposed to teach them. And I think that's, I, I, I have a hypothesis here that as we talk to you today, we're going to find that you take those lumps and then you find a better way to approach things. I'm the opposite, okay? I'm I'm that meathead that you throw at the aspiring boxer who has real good potential, and you just get to beat me up over and over again. I might win, you know, 50% of my fights, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to look good at the end of my life. Uh yeah, I am pretty stubborn. <laughs> so uh, we're going to give a, a shout out here to uh, Graybeard. We won't put his name on the audio waves, but he he hooked us up, connected us, and I appreciate you um, hopping on here, man. I mean, I, I've I've followed along with who you are and and your adventures, and and you kill some great deer, kind of seemingly everywhere you go. Um, I, I think that we're going to find that you you have a, a, a way to read the, the environment around you and use it and leverage it to your benefit. And so um, before we get into that, you kind of want to give everybody a little, like a uh, the, the elevator pitch as to who you are? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm born and raised to live in South Florida. Um, grew up hunting down here, mostly, mostly Central Florida, um, then kind of expanded up to North Florida. Every year, though, since I was a kid, I'd always go out of state. I got family up in PA, um, I'd hunt uh, public land all over, all, a whole bunch of different states. Um, and I just always enjoyed whitetails from the time I was really young. So it's something that I've studied, you know, used my own experiences. I also, um, you know, took opportunities to read books, uh, started listening to podcasts, as, you know, as soon as there was hunting podcasts, um, watching DVDs, YouTube, whatever I could uh, do to learn uh, and try to, you know, grow. 
and do more, be more efficient and consistent. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's funny to me. We, we did this, this podcast series and we did the first three parts and I went into this thinking, and it's funny because I know better. I've been doing this since 2017. I know better, but I was going into this thinking, we're going to find these smoking guns. We're going to find this, like the, the, the Holy grail. This is how you hunt this habitat. And this is how you hunt this habitat. And it's been funny to me, man, because as we've gone through this, I realize the pattern is, is very similar and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm really eager, you know, part six of this, we're going to do a round table discussion where we kind of talk about the patterns that stood out to us as we did this series. Um, but it seems like there's no Holy grail, but that there's a, a predictable pattern in the state of Florida regarding how deer move and why they go where they go. And, I wonder if that pattern isn't kind of universal as you leave the state of Florida. So I'm kind of curious before we get into Florida, one more question about not being in Florida. When you left to these other States, did you, did you find that you had to reinvent the wheel or did the skill set that you acquired hunting in the hardest state in the country to kill whitetails uh, kind of translate easily for you? Um, personally, I found it translated uh, very well. Um, but I also have been focusing for many years because I did, I started traveling young and I hunted a lot of different habitats in and out of the state is I always tended to focus on deer pattern, like things that transcend doesn't mm. matter what habitat type you're in. doesn't matter what state you're in. Um, uh, things are going to change here and there, especially with herd dynamics. And then pressure is obviously the biggest one. Um, but a lot of times, I mean, deer, deer, uh, they're, they're doing the same basic things biologically. It just, it can look a little bit different. You just have to know what to look for. Um, but really they're all, they're all doing the same thing from what I've seen. That's awesome. I, I, I think that's, I think anybody who's listening to that is like, well, God, I can't figure it out somewhere. You know, I think, I think if you can, if you can take and break down one piece of, of land in Florida and really start to consistently get on deer and then figure out why, I think you should be able to take that and translate it to other places in Florida and then also other habitats outside of, of this state. I think it's an encouraging thing, that, what you just said. Yeah, that that's almost exactly what I did when I was younger is I only hunted a couple WMAs. And once I figured out where the deer were and, that, and then that they were there year after year, they're in the same places. You know, the light bulb starts to click as far as why they're there because of pressure and then the way that the habitat lays out, the way that the wind, and once I started to learn about wind and thermals, then that really gave a clearer understanding. Mm -hmm. um, but then, yeah, it, and then, like I said, if you could find that and you can see it in person um, without having to actually dive into it and scout it, but you can kind of look across the landscape and see how stuff lays out, or even on a map, you know, obviously, uh, certain landscapes really lend themselves well to looking at an aerial map or a topo map and being able to, to pick that stuff apart quickly. Um, it's exactly what you just said. When you do it on the same piece of land over and over, and then you find those things uh, that, that kind of translate to other pieces of ground, mm -hmm. it, it allows you to, to find success in those places uh, rather quickly. Okay. So on that note, let's help people today break down swamps. And so with all of that said, what is the Holy grail to hunting swamps in your opinion? <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh I'm, man. In Florida, yeah. the bug tamer and a thermosel and um, patient. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if there is a Holy grail. Um, I'd say there's, that's another thing is anytime I, I find something that bucks do uh, over and over consistently and, and across different landscapes and through different you know types of swamps and whatever, there's never one thing that I can look at and say, oh, they do this because of that. It's usually a multitude of factors um, that are kind of working for them, um, whether it's, you know, cover. You could say, okay, they live in the swamp because of the cover. Well, yeah, probably, partly. I mean, they also live in the swamp because less humans intrude them. Uh, they live in the swamps because they have thermal activity, a lot of them, which keep them really safe. Um, there, there's, so there, there's always a multitude of reasons of why, at least I believe there's a multitude of reasons why bucks do things. Do you think that mature bucks prefer a swamp over other habitat uh, types? You know, I think a lot more of them survive in the swamps um, just because 
it's it, it's a lot harder. Even if you know that they're in there, a lot of times it's a lot harder to kill them, mm-hmm. um, just because of cover. And then you know the way the wind works in there, a lot of them you know it'll swirl the wind, and then it's pulling thermals. They're usually taking advantage of that in the evenings, you know, in the mornings. Um, but honestly, I don't think that bucks prefer. I think I think the pressure puts them in there um, because when I get into areas, you know, parts of even public land, but areas that don't get that much pressure because it's just really remote really tough to get to i don't see the bucks necessarily always living way back in the swamp sometimes they're living right up you know on the front edges um especially during rut because if that's where the does are that's where they want to be um i I just feel that really when you get the high pressure that's really when it drives them into those swamps and they don't want to come out during daylight that's interesting because i've always found it it kind of fascinating the times of year that I find bucks in swamps. I am a, um, I'm a swamp rat, man. There's something about getting wet, like knee deep in muck and finding, you know, snakes and frogs and like a beat down path in the mud and a rub and like through a cedar thicket or something like, you know, that stuff just, man, it just calls me home. And I can't tell you why I just know I belong there, but it's always surprised me how seasonally they used it. And, it wasn't until about a year or two ago that I sat down and I really looked at how inhospitable a swamp is. Like, I don't think, like, frankly, it's a deer's primary choice. I think they they tend to, like, evolve based on other factors to utilize a swamp. Do you agree? At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, um, I do think they they tend to like to be near the swamp, mm-hmm. but exactly what you just said, and, and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if you want to stick just to Florida, but some, no, of go for like it. Places, some of the places I traveled out of state, because I don't do a lot of what we what you would call uh, early season hunting in mm-hmm. Florida, because just because the rut is so prolonged. Um, but in other places, you know, when you get like September openers and you're hunting around swamps, uh, it was exactly that. That's what I found years ago is I'm ready to dive into these swamps. And uh, I'm walking down a log run. I'm kicking up bachelor groups of bucks. And they're <laughs> 100 yards from the swamp laying under, you know, under oak. And these are nice bucks. Um, and you know, that was kind of a reality check is like, you know, when you're, when you're dealing, if you're there before the pressure, you got to understand that, you know, they're, they're probably not back in those all the way back in those Mm -hmm. areas yet. So you can certainly kick them up and get them back in those areas if you want to. That's what (laughs) I did. (laughs) There's somebody out there that's going to go through and like just completely wind bump and pressure deer right before the season into their swamp honey holes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think that happens naturally a lot in yeah. Florida, especially you got a lot of guys who do scout, uh, you know, the week, week or two before season. And I've done that quite a bit, you know, uh, in the past. And that's the time of year where you do kick up bucks, you know, right off a fire break uh, on, on like a swamp edge somewhere where, I mean, you're, you're not going to find him there come, you know, gun unless he's with a doe or something like that. But he's he's laying there during the day, you know, during the summer. He's, he's not worried about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm seeing more and more, um, when, before we started the podcast, you told me there's a chance we were going to get off on tangents, and, and here we are, I present you the first tangent. Uh, you know, I find more and more, uh, I could not find, I mean, I would have given my left leg to have had a hunting partner that would be willing to go out and do things in June, July that I do now, you know, it, it, when I was younger. And now it's like, you know, a buddy of mine went and scouted a WMA that we're going to be hunting together this year. And it's, you know, middle of July and he passes like three or four trucks parked on the side of the road and there's people in there scouting. And it's like, dude, where, 
the the game has changed so much, and I'm wondering if that isn't going to have like an even earlier effect as as there's more and more human pressure throughout the year, and people become more passionate about this. If if those swamp bucks aren't going to become like your 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 predominant big buck as time goes on, because if you're up in those flats, man, you're going to get shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially in Florida, where you got a three month <laughs> rifle season. Yeah. And- <laughs> You know, and for years it was a five-inch spike, so, you know, yeah. now, now at least they got some antler restrictions, which, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but it does help some bucks for sure. Yeah. So so let's talk about why you think um, – well, no, let's not do that. Let's let's kind of paint the picture for people who are listening uh, about Florida swamps. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this. The Florida swamps are so – um, swamps in general, I think everybody looks at a swamp head and they're like, okay, that swamp and they disregard it. I think there's a very special type of person who really tries to break down and assess the differences in swamps. And so you have in my mind, I'm going to paint a picture and you just, you fill in the big gaps or tell me if you agree, but I think you have two or three true swamp types in Florida, maybe a couple others that kind of are on the fringe in those marshy areas, but you've got your mature hardwood swamp where the ground has little to no understory. Um, They tend to be Tupelo gums, cypress swamps, or just true hardwoods that have matured to the point where they dominate the floor. Like I said, very open, kind of inhospitable. Then you have these thickets where we've very clearly gone in there at some point, clear-cut them, pulled all the timber out of there, and it's grown up to an unholy level of of thickness, uh, but it still has water coming through it. And then you have, I think, this third type, which is this really undisturbed habitat that has high rises and low rises, drains and oxbows through it, and a mixture of of natural trees that have fallen and created kind of a canopy or a grassy um, understory. Does that kind of, like, capture what a swamp, like the, 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 the most dominant swamps that you see? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're talking, yeah, swamps and, and like, wetland types, yeah. Right. So... Uh, and, and when you're talking about a hardwood swamp, are you talking about, like, um, like, uh, like floodplain forest type Yes, stuff? that's exactly the word I was yeah. trying to find. Oh, Thank gotcha. you. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So, so my question for you is, have you, as you go through... Uh, these these habitat types. Have you found one that just seems to really be predominantly better for mature whitetails? Um, I, honestly, I've never thought about it in that context. Okay. Um, basically, for me, it all comes down to pressure. You know, access, how remote it is, or how hard it is to get to, um, or how, how overlooked it is. Um, I'd say. Probably my least favorite would be the one where you were talking about it was like a wide open um, cypress to fellow swamp where it's like mm-hmm. you don't have any understory and it's just you can see for a hundred yards through it. That's that's not something I, I I have much experience with. Usually it's it's thicker or um, those floodplain forest types. Um, they can all be good. I, I don't really have a favorite. I can't say that. <laughs> okay, gotcha. No, I'm I'm with you. It's 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 interesting because I have found each of those to be very good in the past. But I've been, you know, I, I'm I'm I tell people all the time I took deer hunting real seriously about 2019. And so for me, I'm racking racking my brain looking back on those times and saying, okay, is there a pattern that pops up? Is there a pattern that pops up? And I think um, one of the most common patterns is just simply how much pressure. If that open canopy tends to be the least pressured, I've seen them bed down right next to, to um, like like cypress knees, you know, a, a clump oh, yeah. of cypress knees, and they just get secluded. But it's it's where we aren't. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that and and like the escape because there's very few places where a buck can go and never ever get bumped up. Um, mm-hmm. So the escape and the security cover becomes a big deal then because once they do get bumped up, you know, if they travel too far, if they don't have enough escape routes or security cover, then like, you know, they're going to die. So let's, let's break that apart. Cause I think, I, f- I feel like you just kind of scratched the surface on what you're looking for. Um, you're talking about escape routes and security cover. When I think of escape route, I think, can I get away from something? And if it's wide open, I mean, they can run faster than I am. Do you think that there is a, a preferred type means of escape or a, a 
you know, are they, are they, do you think when they're trying to escape that they're, they're looking to put water to their back and they can get away through the water? Or do you think it's, you know, adjacent security um, cover that they can slip out quietly? Yeah. Most of the, most of the encounters I have with bigger deer, um, they tend to be right, right in security cover or where they can put it between you and them. If you happen to surprise them somehow, um, they trying to, I don't, I don't want to speak out of context, but typically they do not like to have to get up and go through anything open or anything that leaves them vulnerable. Uh, especially if you, if you really like start, I used to do a lot of like still hunting and sometimes, you know, those bucks, they'll let you walk past them and, and they wait until they can get something between you and them before they go. Uh, they're, they're really crafty. Um, so yeah, I'd say the security cover is a big deal. Uh, another thing that just popped in my head that I do like is, and a lot of guys talk about this, but if there, if there's some diversity, you know, especially, so say like a real common thing would be like Cypress that butts up to a Palmetto flat. Okay. Um, if you could have like some myrtles in there in between, um, or some short pines or something that, that kind of gives them like three different edges or, you know, three different habitat types or, or some oaks, you know, maybe a little oak strand that ribbons that, you know, that, uh, that Cypress before it breaks into that Palmettos. They seem to really like that diversity, you know, um, Shade is a big deal for for deer bedding. That that's one thing that I've found over and over is uh, when they can when they can have it, they seem to prefer to be in the shade for sure. Okay, so that seems like a bit of an oxymoron to me, right? So like swamp equals shade, right? So is it? Are you saying like shade inside like a more open forest, or do you mean like the denser part of the shade inside a like a, a hardwood flat? Um, no. So like a lot of times. Uh, like a, a cypress and then a palmetto edge. Like if you walk, if you get into a somewhere secluded, a lot of times those bucks will be bedded outside the cypress actually um, in those palmettos, but they like to be somewhere, like if, like I was saying, if there's oaks, they really like that kind of shade. But the problem with oaks though is they're a double-edged sword because they attract hunters. So it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be something remote where they can, you know, not be getting boogered all the time. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I've never, I've never thought about oaks being a double-edged sword in that regard. That's, that's actually kind of, and and those are also easy, super easy to see on the map too. So if you can see them yeah. on the map, then the likelihood that somebody pushes in there is kind of, kind of brilliant. It's, yeah, well, it's, I mean, if you can see them on a map and you can walk to them pretty easy, there's probably a ladder stand <laughs> twenty yards from them. I mean, it's, it's just, but that doesn't really, you know, at that point, those bucks will just they might bed right there and be brazen because they, if they know the entrance route, by the time that guy comes stomping down the fire break, that, that buck has slipped into the cypress and, and been gone. Um, you know, I've, I've seen bucks do that even to me. <laughs> I'm trying to slip into an oak head and I didn't realize, you know, this was years ago. I didn't realize that those bucks were bedding in that oak head next to the cypress. And here I'm coming in, you know, 30 minutes before light and I hear them tiptoeing out through this. And I'm thinking, Oh crap, they're already there. You know, I'm thinking, Oh, they're going to come here to feed. Well, now that they're, they're laying right in there. <laughs> oh man, that makes a lot of sense. I wonder, I wonder how many big bucks have slipped out on me quietly and I just didn't hear, and I just didn't know about it now. Yeah. Probably more than you want to know. <laughs> I don't know, man. It might do my, it might do my heart good to know I was at least close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you're if you're in an area where where you know that there's a couple good ones around, um, and you're hunting around the sign. Usually, they're not far. They, it it takes a lot to push a big buck. I, I don't know if you can push a big buck out of his out of his area. He'll just work around you, from what I've seen. Really? Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, yeah. I mean, I I've seen um, man, a couple years ago, I got real intrusive with this deer because he just didn't care. I mean, I, I started, it was the first year I was really running cameras and I was running a bunch of cameras and then I, I found out someone else was running camera. I was actually, I was trying to stay out of this where I knew this deer was living. He was living in like a little oak head that was next to a flag pond. Um, and then there was a big palmetto flat there, but I was all on the outside of him covering like every, every edge and every funnel with cameras. Cause I really wanted to see what this deer was doing. And I didn't realize till the day before I went in to hang my stand and there was another stand, the guy, and I, then I realized he had like six cameras right in where this deer was living. This deer never left. I mean, this deer was daylight every day in that area. Um, just didn't care about us being in there at all. That's crazy. That's so, so I guess what you're saying is if you find that good security cover, if it's the best cover nearby, I mean, you kind of have the ability to, 
I mean, would, with that and armed with that information, how do you strategize going after one of those deer? Is that one of those things where you, you punch in there and you try and get them, or do you kind of flirt around the perimeter? Yeah, so that deer in particular, I was just going right at him because I could just tell from the camera work. I mean, he'd show up on camera an hour after I was there, like frequently. I mean, he had not not like on a on a pattern, but just he was just all over during daylight um, because this little area it really doesn't get much pressure. It's pretty far, but um, but there was another deer. Actually, I found that deer looking for another deer that I missed the year before, and um, that deer was older, and that deer was living in a spot that was much harder to. To, to hunt them um, but even that deer didn't didn't leave I mean I I shot at that deer he was running back into his bed I shot at him miss him and then uh I you know was looking all around for blood and then my buddy decided to hang his stand right there he had him come running back right back by the next or that same day and then uh we put cameras up that deer never left I mean he lived right there uh we found his sheds right there he's showed back up there uh this past year I'm sure he's still there um and he's living right, I mean, he's living in a small area. I'm talking maybe 50 acres is his core. Um, yeah, and there's, and there's not much there for him. We know where he's living, but he's just, it's really hard. You can't get in there to kill him, hardly. So, yeah, the, the, once they find a spot that works for him, there's a reason to survive in there. And, you know, you're, you're probably not the first hunter who's walked through there and messed with them. You know, they, they know the game pretty well. So... In Florida, I think the common theme is that the habitat is so poor that these deer have monstrous ranges. And I and I think there are areas, you know, there are huge national forest swaths of, of, of land that are, uh, you know, pine row after pine row after pine row. And it's all relatively monotonous and the, and the food sources are pretty scarce. And I think that holds very true in those regards because I've seen it on trail cameras where you'll put a camera up and you and you can almost you can almost time their circuit where they're here and then a couple of days later they're here and then a couple of days later they're yeah. here and they're just moving around. But do you? Yep. It's it's really it's really interesting for me to hear you talk about like a fifty acre core area for a Florida whitetail because that's really wildly beneficial if you think about it because then you can take all of these big swamp bottoms these big habitat areas and you can say okay there might be a couple areas in here that he's going to stay at the most frequent and that's how i'm going to kill him and that's a um you know that's a midwestern thing that's a kentucky thing that's a pa thing that's not a florida thing right i mean like that's Um, huge yeah honestly i just think um i mean i I talked to a couple other guys and they've seen pretty much the same thing um that 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 deer in particular i don't know how old he is but i mean he looked old three years ago when i missed him i got him on and is so uh as they get older i think they do they shrink up but he's not i'm not saying he's staying in a 50 acre all over that place um and i mean i i I would get him on on trail camera you know a mile or two difference uh in the same day during daylight you know he he was all over the place uh and i'd say that uh from what i've seen these bucks will usually range like during the rut, like their circuit, anywhere from like two to four miles. Uh, I'd say is pretty average, but I'd say if you can figure it out, they're spending a lot of time in very specific spots. But you you will catch them ranging between them. Uh, if that makes sense. Absolutely, no, it makes it makes plenty of sense, especially in the rut. You know, everything changes then. You know, especially with our doe groups being as scattered in the rut as they are. You know, one of the things that this year I've been I've been mentored in is is monitoring doe groups to see when they drop their fawns in the off season, so that you have an idea of you know if if this group drops in the first week of January and and this one group drops in the first week of February and this one drops in you know whenever then. You know, obviously nobody's dropping fawns, then that's a terrible analogy. But, you know, it gives you the ability to be like, okay, where is he most likely to be this week? Well, if all of those does still made it and they're year love like stomping through palmetto fields and trying to kick up deer uh, and flag ponds and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what I noticed is when I started paying attention, like, oh, okay. So every almost every time I'll jump up a doe group from this pond and I go out there and then realize, okay, now during muzzlers, you know, the buck with them, you know, and so learning that, it's like, okay, so I'll leave them alone during bow, then I'll go and hunt them during muzzle. Um, but, yeah, that, that's that's very smart what you're doing, trying to figure out those doe groups. Because that is, that is another key that I've found is if, like you said, the, the doe groups are pretty scattered. Um, and if you can find a spot where there's actually somewhat of a concentration of doe groups, 
generally that's going to be your better habitat. Um, and usually a dominant buck is going to, to take that, to, is going to be in that area, claiming those doe groups. That makes sense. Logically yeah. speaking, if you have a, if you have a concentration like that, he knows it too. Um, yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's, let's, a con- yeah, a concentration might be like three doe groups within a, you know, <laughs> a square mile. Yeah. That might yeah. be a concentration. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I, I think it's interesting. Tell me if you think this observation will do. It seems like to me, outside of the rut, they don't really commingle very much in in this state. Do you think is that a, a, a false not observation? That I, not that I've seen. Um, no, I, I think you're dead on. Um, I can't say for sure because I don't summer scout. I haven't really scouted in I don't know over a decade uh, outside of season. Oh, just rub um, it in. <laughs> no, it's, man, it's tough. It's tough getting out there because I live so far from most of the places I hunt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now that I'm running more cameras, uh, I definitely see that. Like, what after the rut, those bucks bunch back up. Um, if you get in the right areas, and yeah, there, there, there are does around in there, but no, they're not mingling together really. I got you. I got you. So, so let's talk about swamps and one of the biggest challenges with the swamp. Um, admittedly, this is both. Um, one of the most tantalizing components to a swamp, but also one of the most aggravating. Um, in Florida, we have this awesome effect where the wind never is consistent, um, unless you have a, unless you have conditions that are not desirable to be in, like a good northeastern, which is just normally <laughs> because it feels like it feels like there's an opportunity there for there to be true thermals. There absolutely is under certain circumstances so given a blanket statement of like thermals do this in a swamp it just you can't because they're all different um so a couple things that i've keyed in on that have helped me i mean i i guess i don't know if you want to explain what thermals are but you know basically thermals go up and down uh with the sun well that's you know kind of the common thing is sun goes down it's dark the thermals are pulling down toward the ground and then if you have swamps nearby a lot of times they'll get pulled toward those swamps uh, or those flag ponds because that water stays warmer than the air. Um, the other thing to think of, and then, you know, when the sun comes up, the, the thermals start rising up into the air. Um, the other thing to think about, though, is that thermals don't just go up and down. They follow the sun the same way that, like, water, like tide follows the moon. It goes, so when that sun starts peaking up in the east, um, those thermals are going to start pulling. Thermals are pretty easy to play outside of that. But, you know, a couple of times I've been burned because you expect that as the sun sets, that the thermals are going to start pulling down toward the water. But that's not always the case because if I'm set up, say, on the west side of a swamp and say I've got the deer, the deer activity out in front of me toward the west would be like the high ground. Um, like say I'm coming in from the backside, like the deeper stuff of the swamp, and I'm expecting those thermals to drop and go back behind me to the water. As that sun is setting to the west, it's actually going to pull that that air to the west. So it's actually pulling me you know, in the opposite direction than I want. And the same thing happens in the morning uh, if you watch it. You know, I started I started figuring this out years ago by watching um, watching watching the Spanish moss on the trees. Um, and a lot of times if you're hunting like palmetto flats and stuff, you'll have that, uh, I think it's brome sedge or something. It's that first year grass. It's real tall brown grass after they chop it and burn it. And you can watch what that stuff does, um, you know, as the, as the sun's coming up down and following some sort of vegetation edge or, or feature uh, and swirling. But uh, sorry, so the, the thermals are very important. Um, and from what I've seen, honestly, I think that the buck's, really key in on those thermals especially those dropping thermals obviously um as they're moving you know dawn dusk and and then at dark uh to really scent check a lot so how does god you gave me a lot of information there you kind of messed me up a little bit because when when you no no no, (laughs) when you started talking about how the 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 thermals are following okay hold on so you said the thermals are following the sun much like the tide right yeah. And and that's a little a, similar. Right. Right. But that is actually something I've witnessed and I didn't realize like what the effect was, but I've always been frustrated with, you know, you have um 
you you have these different winds throughout the day. You know, it's a predicted east wind, and it's yep. like it's always swirling. In midday, there's like this ebb and yep. flow swirl that happens, and then in the afternoon, yep. it seems like it shifts. And and yep. that and that's what it that shift is. What yeah. you're talking about still has it in his advantage, and it drives me nuts. But now that I know it, um, you know, you're able to to capitalize on it. But the other thing that I try to do is I try to put myself in a spot where everything kind of, so once you start paying attention to it with um, if you have like a milkweed or some sort of uh, wind floater, something to watch that wind. Um, once you start paying attention to it, you'll see that it's usually pretty predictable every day. Um, you, like I said, when you, when you watch the sun come, cause a lot of times it's dead still, you know, before mm-hmm. the sun comes up and then you'll see the sun start and you'll feel that you'll even see, you can watch the Spanish moss. So it, it doesn't just start flowing in one direction it kind of starts flowing and it stops and it kicks back the other way. It's like it's fighting. Yeah. Um, just like a tide, like a tide does when it yep. changes. Um, it doesn't just flip from one to the other. It kind of gets still and then it starts tossing back and forth and then it starts flowing. Um, so yeah, a lot of, uh, another thing, man, I don't know, but uh, sorry, <laughs> I don't want to get off my attention. Go ahead. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, d- finish, uh, fin- finish that thought. Be- well, Gosh, man, there's a lot of really good stuff there because I wanted you to both because my son had a little bubbler and it's blowing bubbles and it would it would be blowing to the to the west, blowing to the west, and then it would pause and it would kind of like shudder to the east a little bit and then it would blow to the west. That isn't exactly what most people would consider good for hunting. So armed with that knowledge and especially in the in these swamp areas, are are you just are you banking on that golden hour wherever it is that you're hunting or are you uh, trying to utilize no. tree canopy to, to make that. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So a couple different things you have to know. All right. So one thing, everybody from everywhere that I talk to says that you can't play the wind because the wind swirls where they hunt it. The wind swirls everywhere. Pretty much. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're in Florida, if you're in the Midwest, if you're in the mountains, um, you're going to have factors that do swirl wind unless of course you've got you know, a nice front blowing through. That's the best for us because we actually have flat ground. You know, the guys in the hills, they really have difficulty with the swirling wind. But so how I how I have been able to try to uh, co- uh, work around that is just by paying attention to the areas where the wind swirls so I know that my thermals are going to be going up. Because if, if I'm sitting in the shade somewhere where I've got turbulence and I've got shifty wind, there's, there's almost no chance that you're going to have something, you know, come within your wheelhouse that's not going to peg you um so i I pay attention to how the wind flows through areas i pay a lot of attention to it and i've I've kind of gotten pretty good at reading it certain areas i I know you just can't get in certain areas without getting swirling winds um and then because i know that it's going to get a little bit shifty at sunrise and sunset i try to set myself up if if it's a, a morning or an evening hunt then I make sure that I can shoot to what either the weakest side, you know, where, where I'm, I'm going to be uh, compromised uh, because you can't always have it all unless you can get maybe on like the south or the north side and then that east to west shift won't matter. Does that make sense? So, but a lot, honestly, a lot of my, a lot of the deer that I kill are not at prime time when you're hunting bedding is that basically are you so i guess are you just confessing that your main target is the rut and trying to catch them coming out of that bedding during the rut basically in florida i mean yeah just because the rut is so pronounced and because quite honestly in florida on management areas a lot of the places where your true older bucks you know your five six seven year old bucks where they bed trying to get in there and kill them like uh, sometimes it can be done. I mean, I've done it a few times, but doing it the way that I hunt. So I said, I don't get to scout. So that, that's a huge problem for me trying to bed hunt, especially I like to hunt. I like to hunt new ground, new places. So yeah, I bank on rep movement uh, uh, quite a bit. That makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, have you have you noticed? I, I was hunting an area uh, of timber one time, and uh, the, the when Hurricane 
whatever, just number it. It doesn't really matter. When Hurricane whatever yeah. came through, because it seems like every year it, it's crusher days, your your scent just goes up to the heavens, and, and it's like the day from the gods, you know, for deer hunting. And it's like, okay, that doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. And then I'm in, I'm in the swamp, and I'm hunting the edge of this uh, blowdown because there was so much sunlight hitting the floor. There was food, there was browse. It's deep in the swamp. It's, it's good security cover. And I watched my thermals leave the swamp through the tops of those trees. It, Absolutely. It, it, is that observable? Is that predictable? I mean, is that something yeah, that you can utilize? You, uh, yeah. In Florida quite a bit. Um, I know you guys up North, you get more of those fronts. Yep. Um, down in central Florida, you get a lot of those, like I said, you walk in, it's muggy, it's still, there's mm-hmm. no breeze. Um, and then, you know, those, those morning winds start to kick in. But, yeah, once that sun pops up, I feel invincible. I mean, that I've always said that. I love light and variable days when the sun is out because they just, they can't get you. I mean, they really can't, if, if, as long as you're not in the exact wrong spot. <laughs> I'd be there. That would be me. Yeah, it happens to all of us. Police say that in these more open areas where you have a a break in the trees, uh, not only do you have good habitat for deer, but it sounds like you almost have this real rare alignment where it's also good for the deer, but it's also good for you as the hunter if you can position yourself well. Yeah, for sure. And just to go along with, like, the openings, um, that's, that's something I talk about quite a bit is open water. Um, and you can find that in, you know, a lot of different forms, but one of them would be like you're talking about. So say like a cypress swamp, some of them will have either cypress hollows, um, or they'll have cypress ponds in them where there's no canopy. Um, and the cypress ponds, sometimes they get a lot of like water vegetation, so they're not actually open water. But if you get one that's actually open water and, um, especially like a cypress hollow where it almost becomes like a flag pond, Mm -hmm. that, that sun is beating down on that water um and it's heating up you know that that mud underneath i don't know if you ever walked barefoot in one of those but that mud underneath is really warm it's black mud no kidding so you got to think you got to think about what's happening is that sun is baking down on that black right on that opening if you've got a light and variable um especially talking about for dropping thermals because those will actually pull thermals from quite a distance so you can be off those openings uh and just watch your milkweed flow down and go straight over you know so you can play that stuff to your advantage but you just you just have to start paying attention to it and and it'll all start to make sense and like i said there's still some some cases where you're going to get frustrated and you're going to get busted and things aren't going to work out perfect but a lot of times i've i've found that it's, it's pretty predictable God, man, you're giving me a whole new list of things i'm going to have to try and educate myself on this fall when i'm in the woods because you're, you're describing areas that I've got, you know, I've even got, uh, there's a couple of places I've found that are spring fed and you know, that's a, that's a consistent temperature going into those cold months. You know, you, you talked about how it gets cold up here. I have hunted in 20 degree days uh, a, yeah. a lot. Yeah. And if you've got water that's 65 degrees sitting there, that's an immediate and constant thermal. Yeah, because you're, you're sitting here saying a spring, and I'm thinking, man, springs are free. You know, I'd be curious to what you see happen there, because I've never, I've never hunted around springs, you know, in cold, cold weather. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and even I think so. Let's let's use the term cold loosely. You know, uh, the spring, the spring water is what 60, 65 degrees. I mean, it, you know, if your air temperature is anything beneath that, wouldn't you technically have some form of a of a of a oh, vacuum yeah, happening there? Yeah, you should. You should. I would. I would think so. And and so those post those post you know the prefrontal and those postfrontal days when it's maybe it probably postfrontal more than anything when it starts to warm back up it's not quite as cold as it was on that real brisk windy day but it's still probably cold enough that might be one of your strategies is on those heavy windy days you know uh, attack the area from I can predict that the wind's going one direction and then look at that same scenario and say okay now that that wind is dying down maybe we can apply. You know, the fact, because I was, I went through one of them in my boat, dude, I got in my boat and I'm, and I'm cruising. I'm like, good God, the fog, it's 25 degrees. Where is this fog coming from? And it only oh, happened yeah. when I hit this one area. Yeah. It, yeah. It just, it makes a lot of sense when you start thinking about it. Um, the other thing just, just, to, I don't know. I just want to throw it out there because a lot of times people look for certain features or certain things and then they try to hunt those features. Um, 
and that's not really what I do. Usually I look for where I think a big buck is going to live. And then if there is a feature there that I can use, you know, that that's a secondary thing because you can't just go out and hunt where you have a good thermal. If there's not a buck there, you're not going to kill one. You know, does that make sense? Okay. That, that makes, yeah. so wouldn't that, that's kind of like contrary to a lot of like the, the, the information that's out there is like, I think people elsewhere go okay where are the good thermals that's where deer will be you're saying that in florida that's not necessarily the case it can be but you need to have the rest of the pieces of the puzzle um for it to work so it's sort of like the same thing um i know we want to talk about swamps but um like a lot of people understand about deer bedding i guess you could even say like wind and thermal wise but if that if that scenario doesn't work for you know what a buck is trying to do which is to stay alive and breed does if it doesn't really serve him a purpose, he's not going to go to that area just because there's a thermal there. Um, he, you know, there's, there's wind, wind is every, you know, wind, <laughs> he can go anywhere to, to, to scent check. He wants to scent check certain areas and, and doe groups and whatever. But if there is a thermal um, advantage in that area where those doe groups are, where that food source is, where, you know, that bedding area is, whatever it is, um, then obviously he's going to relate to that. So I, yeah, I'm just saying, in my mind, I don't know. I, I could be wrong, but I think that if you're just looking for a certain feature, um, you know, you might be putting the cart before the horse. That makes a lot of sense, and I bet you I am very guilty of that myself. <laughs> I mean, like that, yeah. like because because uh, especially because if you look at what hunters do in the off season, right? They they look at maps, right? And it's it's really yeah. hard to look at a map and really take anything from it. But you can put that topo feature on there, and you know you can. All right, and it's got a bunch of different cypress swamps. All those different cypress swamps are pulling some sort of thermal, thermal activity. Right. Um, it doesn't mean there's a big buck living in all those or relating to all those different cypress swamps. Uh, maybe half of them, maybe some of them, maybe one of them, maybe none of them. <laughs> um, but the one that lays out the best, you know, uh, the one that's got the doe groups, the one that's got the diversity, the one that's got the food, it's got the cover, mm-hmm. whatever it has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just making those things up. Uh, the one, let's say just the one that's the furthest from access. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, maybe that's the one that I would check first. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think I very rarely go anywhere to hunt. And is there like one thing on my mind? Like I'm looking for this. It's generally, I've got a few areas picked out and you know, um, there, there's always multiple factors usually of why I want to go and hunt a spot. Okay, so with that knowledge and that statement, what are what are some of those things that you're looking for? You talk about how you don't get a whole lot of time to scout where you're going, so you're going into these areas. Oh man, that's a, that's a loaded question. It is. Um, yeah, I should have given you a smaller piece. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> no you're good. I'm just I'm just trying to work it out to try to you know to help people understand what I kind of think, and you know, by no means is the way that I do it the only way to do it for sure um but yeah like i said all those different factors um are on my mind so i'm looking at generally the first thing i'm looking at is where are the access points um where are the fire breaks because nowadays with e-bikes it doesn't matter if it's five miles back like you're gonna have guys in there um so i'm looking sort of at how difficult it is to get to how obscure it is maybe that other guys aren't paying attention to it um and then just the weight of the terrain. A lot of times what I'm really looking for is just how the overall terrain work, like lays out and where I think I can catch a buck, either cruising a swamp or coming from one swamp to another um, or something of that fashion. Very rarely am I looking at a spot and a big buck is going to either live or uh, to travel through that area. So when you say large scale movement, you're talking like uh, the seasonal shifts that occur throughout, like uh, the the pressure cycles. Deer, you know, hunters hunters show up on the landscape. That that would impact a large scale movement. Is that what you're talking about? Um, no, I'm talking like a, like a deer deer that get jumped up, or or deer that are running, or or deer that are covering ground um, are generally going to end up going through certain. You could say funnels. I, I don't know if they're really funnels. It's just the way that the habitat lays out. Okay. That you know, say you 
say you've got a bunch of good habitat to the east, a bunch of good habitat to the west. Um, you know, something simple might be like where two uh, swamps kind of point at each other. You know, you can usually see that on a map. And a lot of times those bucks will use those points to go from one swamp to the other. Um, or they might, you know, if you're looking at where there's some flag ponds dotted uh, in some uh, in some palmettos, a lot of times those bucks will work those flag ponds if there's no groups using them. Um, so I don't want to... Yeah. I don't want to abuse your, 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 your graciousness when you come in on the, the, the show here, but um, one of the things that I have found is oxbows have this like hot, cold relationship. So we're talking floodplain swamp, you know, hardwoods now, like you mentioned earlier. Um, it, it seems like an oxbow is either really, really good or it's really, really bad. And I don't see a pattern between them. And I'm not asking you necessarily give out to the keys to the cookie jar here, but is that, is that a predictable thing for you? Is there any kind of maybe hints you could kind of push us in, in a direction for how to assess when an oxbow is going to be worth hunting? Because if you're looking at a map, you're like pinch point, this never happens in Florida. But then you hang cams up and you go and there's just like either very little activity or it's just, you know, the Holy grail. Um, I don't hunt a lot of oxbow stuff in Florida, but I mean, I view it the way I view any other funnel, which is what's on either side of it. Um, so that is what I would be paying attention to is there's reason for them. Sure. So either they have everything they need on the one side or they're just, there's just nothing on that other side. I don't, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Um, but are you, you're talking about oxbows for movement for funnel. You're not talking about like inside of oxbows for bedding. Well, I mean, I guess kind of for both. I mean, if you look at it and you can, you know, when you're you're trying to hammer an area and hit those like high odd spots, when you when you're going through some of these swamps that are either old riverbeds or their current riverbeds and your swamp bottoms at that point, if they're old, old riverbeds, um, you, you look at that and you see these like natural funnels that are there. And it kind of sounds like what you just said is like, hey, dummy, listen to what I said earlier, which is, you know, find out the feature that that holds them to be there and then figure out how to hunt it. Don't worry about finding a feature and holding deer pattern subject to, to you know, having having found that. And so um, it, it, it's been real interesting because in some high pressure areas where I would expect, you know, and I found what I've thought to be good security cover. Um, I have had this very bizarre um, relationship with deer using all over the spot, except for on that thick oxbow. And yet for some reason, there's just not the sign there that you would, you would expect, or conversely, it's just, you know, it's absolutely gobstop ate up with deer sign. Um, are you talking about dead oxbows, like where the old river channel is, or are you talking about the yeah, no, river? that's a, that's a great clarifier clarifier. I'm talking about the dead ones. Yeah. Oh, um, so my thought would be the the uh, the orientation of that oxbow versus mm. um, versus the wind and the, the thermal activity um, that could be a factor. Sense. Also, you know, like I said, the veg well, the vegetation around there, the food uh, there could be a, there could be a litany of factors. Um, you know, it, uh, I, yeah, I can't say it without seeing it. Um, sure, but 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 that. Honestly, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that is exactly what I was talking about with different features is, and I've said this before, like, you know, say you like to hunt funnels or whatever. There's a lot of dead funnels out there. There's a lot of fun out him busting you before you can get them. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and I'll just say like, like, and what I was talking about with the large scale movement before, um, I guess to kind of clarify that is places where that, where that movement usually converges from different directions. Um, so what it does is it kind of concentrates where those deer go through into a smaller area. And a lot of times the bucks are going to key in on that because there's going to be a concentration. It's just a good spot for them to spot check a whole lot of, can check a whole lot of deer at one time. That makes sense. Okay. I, that makes, that makes a lot more sense for me that. Yeah. Okay. Well, so on the topic of swamps, have we, were there any like big points that you were thinking about that we didn't bring up? Swamps, swamps, swamps. Uh, be careful. There's gators out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be, be careful. Be careful on the floating stuff. 
because you literally can die if uh, if you punch through and you got to stand on your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I've said some things in the past that I, when I listen to it, and I think, oh man, somebody who is new to this of being hardcore. I just I want to be efficient yeah. with my time. Um, exactly. Exactly. No. Well, so yeah, I mean, because I, I, I've talked about wading through water and stuff like that. Um, you know, up to waist deep, which is can be sketchy if you're by yourself. Um, but I'll say the thing. I just want to clarify when I usually weigh that stuff. Usually, I'm pretty familiar with the water body um, because I walk that stuff during turkey season when the water's down. Okay. So you know where the actual deeper water is. You know where the actual holes are because when you have like cypress, um, you know cypress ponds. If there's a deep spot in there, uh, usually there's going to be a resident gator, uh, a female gator that's going to dig that out, so she has year-round water. Um, so knowing where those spots are and being able to avoid them, you know, it, I wouldn't just go wading out into deep, waist deep water where it connects to like larger water. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you're going to run into some big gators. <laughs> I've, I've been on, uh, I've been on that side of thing. We, so we have a fella in the group we call Florida man and uh dude's crazy. He's just, he's an animal. And last year, so we had this, um, are you familiar with Marco Polo again? Or as he's just come out, uh, the buddy shot like a spike, and the spike ran towards one of those holes. And a gator came out and grabbed the dead deer and stuck it up underneath a tree. And this joker stripped yep. down to his skivvies and jumped in there with a big branch and swam out there to this deer and pulled it out from underneath there. And, I mean, if that's not the epitome of Florida, man, I mean, come yep. on. Yeah, listen, I, I went duck hunting a few times with a couple buddies, and I was like, yeah, you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's another topic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out. I thought I'd hate to see somebody, you know, get into a bad situation. I mean, I, I know you've been doing it for a long time, but, you know, who knows who listens. So <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. You know, be safe. Use yeah. your head. Uh, and the best thing you can do is walk, walk it. You know, like I said, in the spring when the water's down, then you can really get intimate with, what these cypress bottoms look like um and and you'll 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 figure them out no i think that's brilliant advice for sure and i think it's it's a good warning even for me because i've been doing this for a while but you get kind of complacent with yourself for sure um well dude listen i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up i i cannot tell you how happy i am that you carved time out of your day we played phone tag or not phone tag but we texted dates and times several different times uh yeah, it's all good, man. Yeah. I, I appreciate you reaching out, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk, but uh, good luck this season, and good luck to everybody who's listening.